Good morning, church family, and happy Sabbath. Always wonderful to see you all here in our sanctuary, worshiping God, worshiping God in spirit. I can't wait until we worship him in the physical form. Before we begin the message for today, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, today we are here to worship you, to give you glory, honor, praise, and thanks. Lord, we should never be ashamed to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to all others whenever we get the chance in order to glorify God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We all know the gospel is a story, a story about an individual that is alive and who is our creator and our savior, our best friend, and has loved us forever. You know, when Paul was converted, he was converted by Jesus Christ. And when he went on his missionary tours, he would often preach about Jesus Christ and his one goal of sharing the gospel message to the Greek world and to the Gentile world. He went and he established churches all over there, that area in uh, Asia and uh, places like in, even in Turkey. Paul wrote about, and he, he had the message and preaching about Jesus. I would like to back up and read a couple of verses found in Romans chapter 1, starting with 14. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. It's interesting that Paul desired to be in Rome. He desired to be before the Roman emperor because he had that chance to share the gospel. Paul also shared the gospel with this King Herod. And he did this best with the Holy Spirit by his side. But King Herod would not accept the gospel as Paul preached and as he taught. There were many others, though, that because of Paul, they gave their hearts to the Lord. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We have a 
who we call Father, Father Abraham, because he's the father of many people. And God told him that he would be blessed. And you know that Abraham was a man of faith. It was counted to him as righteous. You know, I love the parables of Christ. I know we all do. And there's a parable of a shepherd tending his flock. And at the end of the day, he puts them into the pen and he's counting them one by one all the way to 98, 99. And that was it. And he knew he had 100. So let's turn to Luke, if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 15. You know, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor, medical doctor. He followed Jesus close, and he listened to Jesus in his teachings. Starting with verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees, who are Jews, and the teachers of the law, Again, the Jews, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. You know, the Jews wouldn't do that. But Jesus, he sat with the sinners. He talked to the sinners. He ate with the sinners. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who do you think we go out to share the gospel with? Is it perfect individuals? No, it's sinners. Verse 3, it says, Jesus told this parable. Like I said, I love the parables of Jesus. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and you lose one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the, the lost sheep until he finds it? The lost sheep. How many of you have seen the picture that I love so much? It is a shepherd in the likeness of Jesus Christ, and he's holding in his arms a black sheep. When we look at that, we need to look at ourselves and say, that was me. That was me who Jesus came and picked me up because he saved, he saves me. Verse 5, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Now understand that Jesus is telling a parable about himself. He is the good shepherd. He is the one that's going look, looking for that one lost sheep. Rejoice with me, because I tell you, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who re repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Well, understand this, as there are other sheep that are repenting and they're going into the fold together, all of heaven has already rejoiced over them. So now it's not necessary to rejoice over them because they've already accepted 
their Savior, Jesus. It's the one lost one that they rejoice over. One, one sinner, one person, the entire heaven and all of the angels and the God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus rejoice over the one. Like I said, I love the parables of Jesus. You know, a parable is a story. And Jesus made up these stories so that he can teach others. And I love it when Jesus talks about the gospel through stories. In Luke 10, we have this famous parable starting with verse 25. This is one of the favorite, favorite parables that Jesus told. Starting with verse 25, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, always testing Jesus about the law trying to catch him in an error. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replies. How do you read it? And the teacher of the law says, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies, you've answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. Now, if this isn't the gospel, then what is? Verse 29, he begins his story. He's asking who is, or the, the law, the teacher of the law says, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You know, this wasn't the safest road that he took. And he, I guess, had some money, and he had some things that he had on his donkey. And then he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they took all his things, and they left right away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, did he go over there to try to help that man that was lying in the road? He passed by. He passed on the other side as far away as possible. And so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, now a Samaritan and the man that's there lying in the road, I'm assuming is a Jew. They do not like one another. Samaritans and Jews, they hate each other. And yet this Samaritan goes to help this Jew. Samaritan is traveling down that same road. He came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him 
he went to him and he bandaged his wound, pouring on oil and wine. I see Jesus in this. Well, you see the rest of the world. They go by, not even taking notice, not even stopping to help. But I see Jesus stopping to help. Do you know others will see Jesus in us as we stop by to help? Then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took took out two silver coins. He gave it to the innkeeper and he says, please look after this man until he's well. And when I return, I will reimburse you for all that you've spent on this man. Jesus is asking the question, now which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert teacher in the law, he says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise, and you will have eternal life. This is Jesus. If this isn't the gospel that we should share, then what is? If this isn't it, what is? You know, Jesus loved to send out his apostles. And when he sent them, he didn't send them one by one alone. He sent them two by two by two by two. And what were they doing? They were sharing the gospel. And after this, the Lord appointed 72 and sent sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So they went first, and then Jesus followed. That's very interesting to me. Why didn't Jesus go first? He's teaching these apostles, and he wanted to hear from the apostles how things went. And this is what he told them. This is called a radical prayer. He says, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. The harvest, we know from our studying about end times, is when the harvest is the wheat, and it's harvesting those who now have accepted Jesus. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Isn't that rather pitiful that there aren't enough workers? And what do we do as we are sent out as workers into the harvest, into the fields that are teeming? Are we doing that because we love God and we love others? Or do we do it grudgingly and say, I wish I didn't have to do this? It's pretty radical, though, when Jesus is saying that. The field is teeming, and the workers are few. Pray that the workers will come out and go into the field. You know Paul was out there. You know his disciples were out there. But they weren't that many. They were the few says in verse 3, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That's pretty accurate, I think. 
These apostles were like lambs going into a world full of wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet everyone in the road. The gospel. These apostles were not ashamed of the gospel, just like Paul, not ashamed of the gospel. I think maybe the Good Samaritan is the favorite parable that Jesus tells. And he tells many parables. You just read the book of Luke. Read it through and read all of the parables about Jesus' stories that are symbols, most of them, to talk about the gospel. You know, there is a way to share the gospel, and there's another way to share the gospel. Paul liked to do this when there was a complete theater or arena. He must have had a booming voice. I don't think he had a microphone. I don't think they had microphones then. But he spoke in front of hundreds of people. He spoke in Greece. And that's where he spoke with all of the scientists, the atheists. And he reached their hearts in the gospel by telling them about all of creation and how it got there. And when he left, they followed saying, Paul, you're not going yet. Tell us more. Isn't that what we want others to do when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? We want them to say, tell me more. Tell me more. would be called a corporate system or way of sharing the gospel, but we can also share it one-on-one. -on -one. And I think that's my favorite. When you are with one person, it's just the two of you, and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 talks about how Jesus did the one-and-one, one-on-one, Jesus did it more often than you might think. I think he would end up doing that with Peter when he could. He did that with John when he could. So John writes about Jesus. And in chapter 3, after Jesus had been teaching the people in the city, there was a man named Nicodemus. This man was on the Sanhedrin, he was a Jew and rich and famous. And he asked to speak with Jesus in, in person and just the two of them alone. So he went on a rooftop at night. And John chapter 3, this man named Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher of the law. We know that you have come from God, for no one could perform the miracles and signs that you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus did not understand. Born again, there's no way. 
that's impossible. And the rest of this world today would tell you, I cannot be born again. I don't believe in reincarnation. I cannot be born again. Is that what Jesus is talking about? How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus says, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. That is baptism, born of water. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You know, a symbol of the Holy Spirit is water. And the Holy Spirit was with Jesus and the Father when Jesus was baptized. You should not be surprised at saying, at my saying that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot, you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I love that story of Jesus talking to Nicodemus. I think it's in the Bible because Nicodemus was a man from the world. Even though he was important as a Pharisee and in the council of Sanhedrin, everybody knew him. He's famous. He was important. And Jesus was talking to him. Our favorite text in the Bible, one of our favorites, is found in the same chapter of John. Verse 16 tells us, and this is the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Have eternal life. Depending on if you're reading one version or the other. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I love that extension of John 3.16, you go into John 3.17. Jesus and Nicodemus. What do we know about Nicodemus? What do we know other than he's a famous person, important, wealthy, in the Sanhedrin? He did, but not that night. He, he finally converted I'm thinking he got baptized. And it said that when Jesus was crucified and as his life started coming to a close, he went and took all his wealth and spent it on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did he waste his money? Or did he invest it in the kingdom of heaven? I want to say that whenever we give our tithes and offerings, Whenever we go out and share our faith with others, we share the gospel. It's an investment in eternal life. Whatever money you spend, it's an investment. It's not an expense. It's an investment, not only in yourself and in the kingdom of heaven, but in everyone you reach out to, everyone. Yes, I like that story of a one-on-one -on -one gospel message. 
that Jesus shared. You know, there, was a, there is a gospel commission in the Bible. You know that gospel commission? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. This is something that is called a command. What do we know about commands? You have a choice. Are you saying, I don't have to if I don't want to? It's like the Ten Commandments, right? Of course, you have a freedom of will. You can decide you won't, or you can decide you will. This text is a very famous text. Jesus came to the people there that were in his disciples in Galilee, and Jesus says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, when we have a baptism here, this is what we're doing. We're following the gospel, and, and we're following it right through to baptism. And we need to continue to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And this last part is something we should take to heart. How do we ever forget something like that? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. End of the age, end of the world, the day of our deliverance, not doomsday. It's only a beginning. It's a beginning of eternity. So yes, that's the gospel commission that's been given to the world. Not just for a few, but given to the world. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, 14, in case anybody asked you, when is Jesus coming? When is he coming? How many times have we heard that question and not known or not have an answer? We should have an answer. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into the whole world as a witness into all nations, and then Jesus will come. That's in Matthew 24, just a few chapters back from the Gospel Commission. I have studied this chapter, and I've studied this chapter, and the more I study it, the more my desires are to share the gospel in which I'm not ashamed of. I don't think the rest of her are ashamed of. So we need to show that we're not ashamed of this gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know right now, we're all waiting for Jesus to come. And in the meantime, we need to talk about Jesus. Talk about him all day long. Talk about him all week long. Talk about him on the Sabbath. And I have a, a rhetorical question of all of you before we close our worship today. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Before Jesus comes, we need to be out there in the fields that are teeming. And we know from the spirit of prophecy that it will be those members of God's church 
who follow Jesus, the Lamb of God, the lay, lay people, not the leaders, but the members of God's church will be given the power from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It is God's people that are going to get this gospel into the whole world. You know that can be sooner rather than later before you realize it. Yes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of us should be willing to go out there like Jesus and share his gospel with this world. Let us pray. Father, today we are here to learn more about you and to worship you. We know you are almighty. We know that you can do all things. And with you at our side, we can be successful in sharing Jesus with others so that others can be saved and that all of heaven can rejoice over each and every one that is saved for the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.